Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. So what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning for two sessions, it's what's been on my heart for several weeks concerning the state of the church. Now when I speak about the church, I do not just speak about this house or the church in the region, but I am speaking by and large to the church, particularly in the Western world. And, um, and this word is for the church, but it is for you and for me as well. So my purpose in doing these sessions this morning is not just to preach a message. I mean, you've heard it all. You've heard message after message after message, teaching after teaching. After. We don't need any more teaching, I feel. We are far are more knowledgeable than the level of our obedience. We know far too much, but we obey far too little. So I don't believe that we need any more teaching, but I do believe that we need a shift in our hearts and in our attitude and in our minds when it comes to the state of the church and when it comes to where we are at this present time. Now, there was a group of people in the Old Covenant. They were called the sons of Issachar. They had tremendous wisdom in understanding the seasons and the times that the nation was in, and they advised the leadership of the nation as to what to do. And I believe in the church today there are wise men apostles and prophets who are able to recognize the seasons and the time the church is in and speak prophetically to the church, advising or speaking directly from the heart of God to us and communicating a loud message. Now, that is why I say that my purpose in sharing this this conference or this message with you this morning is not just to preach another message, but it is to communicate a measure of the heart of God toward His church, toward the state of the church at this present hour. Now, I'm going to lay a foundation through the scriptures that I'm going to give you now. In Jeremiah chapter 23, Verses 18, 21, and 22 says the following. Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning with verse 18, and then we will read verse 21 and 22. This is, this is the Lord speaking to His prophet, Jeremiah. And He says, For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? and has perceived and heard his word. Who 
has marked his word and heard it. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from the evil way and from the evil of their doings. During that time, there was a, a number of false prophets that were running around proclaiming peace and prosperity to those that were running after the dictates of their own hearts. And God was displeased because he said that these prophets have not heard from me. They are speaking a word from their own heart rather than from the heart of God. But if they had taken their time to stand in the counsel of the Lord, they would have heard the word of the Lord, the pure word of the Lord. And if they had proclaimed that word to my people, God said, they would have caused them to turn from the wicked ways. They would have brought genuine, heartfelt repentance to the nation, and they would have averted the judgment of the Lord. Now, we're not living, of course, in that time, but there is so much that is being prophesied through Jeremiah 23 that is applicable to us today. I have been standing in the counsel of the Lord for the past few weeks, listening, watching, feeling, or sensing in the Spirit, and discerning the Word of the Lord for His church. And I must say that what I've heard from the Lord, and what is communicated to my heart and to my spirit, what is imparted, has caused my heart to grieve and experienced much anguish in the spirit. Now these are hard words to minister to the Lord's beloved. And yet the scriptures say that those whom the Lord loves, He does what? He rebukes and He corrects and He chastises. A few years ago, the Lord said to me that only few have the courage to face the truth, be confronted with the truth, and be changed by the truth. Only few, he said. Most people would rather go on the path they're going without having the courage to face the truth and allow the truth to change them. You know, the rich young ruler was seeking for truth, came up to the Lord Jesus, knelt before him, God-fearing young man. Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the law. Keep the commandments. He says, I have kept all those from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, and the Bible says he loved him, and said to him, go, sell what you have, give to the poor, come follow me. He was seeking truth, but he was not prepared to face the truth, be challenged by the truth, and be changed by the truth. So he walked away. Even though he was seeking truth. Many are seeking truth, but only few are willing or have the courage to face the truth about themselves and allow the truth to change them. And I pray that here we have a number of those few people that are willing to hear the truth of the Word of God and allow the truth to penetrate our hearts and pierce us 
in those areas that we need to be peers to be corrected so that we need to change so that we change the course, the direction that we have been going. You know, you know what the definition of insanity is? Keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. The church has been going on for years doing the same thing, the same programs, the same approach, the same attitude, and we are expecting a different result. That's insanity. Amen? Paul said to Timothy that in his preaching and in his teaching, when he wrote to him, he said, you must first reprove, then rebuke, and then you exhort and encourage. We've got it the wrong way around today. People want to hear a soft word. They want a motivational word. I want to be encouraged. I've had a tough week. I've had a tough month. I need to be encouraged. I need to be uplifted. Praise God, there are times when we need that. But when it continues to keep going that way, something is wrong. Amen? Amen. Now, I have experienced more grief, more pain, an anguish of heart in the last few weeks than I have experienced for a very long time. And I'll tell you why. It all started back in Cape Town in the early hours of Tuesday morning on the 27th of February when I was suddenly awakened by what I believe was a prophetic dream from God. Now, before I share the dream, I need to say that part of the dream is referring to the state of the church in the city of Cape Town, because as you know, I trust you know, Cape Town at this point in time is facing one of the worst droughts in the history of the city over a hundred years. We are experiencing such a crisis that they are even threatening to shut off our taps. And we would queue up at a certain points, the whole five million people, queue up at certain locations and receive 25 liters of water per person per day. I don't know what, what is in gallons, 25 liters, but it's probably about five gallons, maybe six gallons of water. It is so severe. So part of the dream refers to the state of the church in the city of Cape Town, but there are parts in the dream and there are principles that apply to the universal church of the Lord Jesus. Now, <clears throat> I believe that every prophetic word, every prophetic dream needs to be submitted, needs to be tested, needs to be discerned, and proved that it is the word of God. Too many prophets are running around prophesying and you don't know where these prophets come from. They have no roots. They're not submitted to any authority, to any local church. They do not submit what they proclaim to be tested and discerned. That is unscriptural. So the Lord instructed me and he said, I don't want you to share the dream I've given you until you have submitted it to your apostolic oversight to the fellowship of pastors that you meet every Friday and ask every one of them to discern, to test and see whether this is the word of the Lord. I did that before I shared it uh, with our church. The first place I shared it was, was at our 
local fellowship. Now, they all confirmed that the dream was from God, and the message contained in the dream is a now word of the Lord Jesus for the church. And I'm going to share the dream now. I found myself in a very large gathering of people. This gathering was a Christian gathering. In this gathering there were many and all different denominations represented. It was a huge gathering in the city. And I was in the midst of that gathering. And I could discern why I say that the many denominations were represented because I saw in one corner of the gathering holy water being sprinkled upon people. Do you know what that represents? Then there was another section of this gathering that there was holy oil, anointing oil. They were anointing people with oil and praying. And I've observed and I have seen that worship was being offered to the Lord. Many prayers, many petitions, and many requests were being offered. In one section of this large gathering, there was a group of people that, that were leading worship. There was a young lady in that dream playing the guitar and leading worship. And as she was moving up and down, she wore such a short miniskirt that you could see her underwear. And as I stood in that gathering, I felt the grieving and the pain of the Holy Spirit within my heart. My heart was breaking. And I sensed in that dream that I, while I was standing there, that God was looking for something more from this great gathering. And he wasn't finding it. And because of it, his heart was breaking and grieving. I picked up the phone in my dream and I called my apostolic father and I started relating to him the dream. And that was the end of the dream. Now, the dream is self-explanatory. God was looking for something more within our gathering and he could not find it. What, what was he looking for? Why was his heart breaking? Because I've inquired of the Lord. And I discerned in the Spirit that God was looking deep within our hearts and the hardness thereof of our hearts. He saw the lack of godly sorrow. The lack of genuine repentance. The lack of confession of sin. Ours and the city's sin. He was looking for humility. He was looking for a brokenness of spirit. But there was none of it. And I heard the voice of the Lord rising up from within my spirit saying, no matter how large your gatherings are, no matter how excited and, 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 and thunderous and anointed you think your worship is, and no matter how many prayers and petitions you make, they are of no avail if they do not arise out of a broken and a contrite spirit. Amen. 
And then I heard this phrase that I have never heard before. He said that out of a broken heart arises a fragrance before God that moves the hand of God on our behalf. Only out of a broken and a contrite spirit there will arise a fragrance. The Bible keeps talking about fragrance. Paul said to the Philippians, your gifts, your offerings are a sweet-smelling savor, a fragrance well-pleasing to the Lord. He also said to the Corinthians that, that, that to the believer we carry the fragrance of life, but to the unbeliever the fragrance of death. Scripture says in Psalm 51, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. God was looking much deeper than what we were giving him on the surface. Beyond our words, beyond our actions of worship, beyond our prayers of petitions and requests, he was looking deep down into our hearts and he was looking for the evidence of a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. He was looking for humility. He was looking for an acknowledgement of our sin and the sin of our city, crying out to God in repentance and asking Him for His grace and for His mercy to be poured out upon us. And He wasn't finding it. There was no an acknowledgement of sin. No confession as though that we are perfect. Nobody talks about sin even in the church anymore. Or the word repentance. Grace, 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 grace. God loves you. Yes, grace. But we have preached a one-sided gospel without the other side. There is another side of the gospel. That God is holy and God is righteous. And we must pursue holiness with all of our hearts. And if we fail to preach that... Nobody seems to be confronting sin in the church anymore. People living together. They stand up there and lead us in worship. Nobody says anything. We're so soft on sin. Not to offend anybody. To be politically correct. But we grieve the heart of God. And the Spirit of God is grieved over what is taking place within His house. Amen. Amen. The calling of the church, one of the primary callings, it is to identify with the sin of the city and intercede on behalf of the people of the city so that God may spare us from judgment. The Bible says the judgment must begin from the house of God. Some of us are so, so delusioned and so deceived that we cannot recognize the blessing from the judgment. The church is under a spiritually drought places. 
Our altars are empty. Our tears have dried up. And our heart no longer feels the pain and the grief of those who are lost. God spoke through Ezekiel many hundreds of years ago. And in chapter 22 and verse 30, he said, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Not only are we to identify with the sin of the city, but I believe we need to also acknowledge our own sin yes. and stop shifting the blame on the politicians. Yes. And in true repentance and godly sorrow, begin to judge ourselves, not someone else. This has got to stop. It's me, Lord. It's me. Judge ourselves so that we can escape the judgment of the Lord. Because we were failing in the dream, what I saw, to approach God in an acceptable way, the heart of God was broken over the pride of His church. And if I could summarize it in just a few words, the message contained in the dream would be this, the church is out of touch with the heart of God. We're not aligned. It's out of touch. While God was grieving and his heart was breaking over what was going on in the church and in the city, the church went about doing its own thing and yeah. totally being ignorant of how God was feeling. Yes, sir. That's the truth. And in order to demonstrate what I believe God was looking for, from his church, I need to take you to the book of Nehemiah, to the first chapter. As I began to meditate and ponder on this, on this dream, God took me to all of these scriptures and verses. He showed me from his word what the church ought to be doing. And in the first chapter, we read the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shusham, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they say to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And so it was, when I heard these words, that I sat down, and I wept, and mourned for many days. I was fasting, and I was praying before the God of heaven, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night 
for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments, your statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. This man was broken. When this man heard the report of what was going on in Jerusalem, the word says, I sat down. Today, the church is so busy, has no time to sit down in the presence of the Lord and hear what God is saying. We have our own plans, we have our own pains, we have our own problems, we have our own challenges. And that's all we're concerned about. The church has become so self-centered and so selfish and all we care about is ourselves. The only tears that we shed are tears because we hurt. But have you ever stopped to think how God's heart feels? And it's time we begin to shed some tears because the heart of God is hurting as a result of our disobedience and rebellion and sin within the house of God. Yes, sir. Amen. 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 And every time our altars get some people in front, it's all about them. Heal my body, fix my marriage, fix my children, me, mine, and us four, and no more. But what about the world out there that is perishing? Can we pick up the pain of God? Can we pick up the sorrow of God and the burden of the Lord for the lost? You know what I think the attitude of the church is concerning the lost? Let them go to hell. Does that shock you? It doesn't shock me. Listen to how this man wept. He says, I sat down. It's not that he didn't have anything to do. He was the king's cupbearer. He was a busy man. But he says, I sat down. And it's time the leadership of the church, the, 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 the membership of the church, sits down in the presence of the Lord. Yes. As the prophet Jeremiah said, who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? Yes. Only he who has stood in the counsel of the Lord is qualified to speak the word of the Lord. Yes. Today most preachers, they get sermons from the internet. Five dollars. <laughs> and the church is starving for the pure, un unadulterated word of God. Yes, sir. If you've come to church and you leave church and you're not being challenged and you're no longer being convicted by the Holy Spirit, right. something is wrong. Yes. Amen. Amen. He says, I sat down. And what did he do? I wept. You know, Andrew Murray said something very profound. I'm going to jump to what he said that I, I had not been able to forget it. I wrote it down and I often visit what he said in one of, the, one of the books he wrote, The State of the Church, 200 years ago. But I believe this is more applicable today than it was then. Listen to what he says. Spiritual truths cannot be grasped by the natural mind. Right. Right. 
It's of no use trying to grasp the word of the God with your intellect. These are spiritual things and they can only be spiritually discerned. Then he says, it is by God's Spirit alone that it can get full possession of our hearts. What is more, it takes time with God alone. That's what Nehemiah did. He sat down in the presence of the Lord and waited in his presence until the Spirit of God came and broke his heart and he was able to weep with tears and with godly sorrow and with anguish of spirit on the behalf of his people. Such prayer, God cannot turn his ears away from it. Because it comes out of a heart that is broken, out of a heart that is filled with godly sorrow and passion for the people you're praying for. It's not just mouthing words. It's a prayer of substance, filled and charged with the heart of God. He says, it takes time with God alone for Him to breathe and then to deepen the spirit of contrition. It takes time to turn away from the world and its numberless interests and to wait on God to bow and to bend the heart. The great revivalist, Evan Roberts, he was the main vessel, the main, uh, the main figure in the Welsh revival back in the 1800s, I think. He said something very profound. Lord, bend the church and save the world. And that's what Andrew Murray says here. Contrition must become such a reality that we feel something of the pain of a broken heart. That we offer this sacrifice to God as felt living reality. Where the Spirit has worked such contrition, He whose name is holy will come to dwell with Him that is of a contrite and humble heart. End of quote. Nehemiah says, I wept. I mourned for many days. I don't know how many days he mourned and he fasted and he prayed and he cried out unto God, confessing his sin and the sin of his people. I recall many years ago, I was just a couple of years old in the Lord and I I was sitting in the church comfortable. My family was well, my business was doing well. And as I was sitting in the church and the pastor was preaching many times, not just once, I would find myself together with my country fellow men. I was the only one that was saved in that community. And my heart would break and I said, what am I doing here? I should be there with them. What am I doing sitting in church while they're perishing? It was the call of the evangelist on my heart. And the only place that I could unload the burden of the Lord was in my prayer closet. I didn't know where to begin. I didn't know where to start. God showed me. And that's when I learn of all of these scriptures that I'm sharing with you. Day after day, I would go into my prayer closet, I would fast, I would cry out to God, I would weep many times because of the heaviness of the burden of the Lord for those country fellow men that didn't know Christ. 
And after many days, God gave me a strategy. And I went, and I've been going ever since then. Every corner of the Greek community was touched by the word the Lord had given me to minister between 1983 and 1998. And for many years I did the work of an evangelist only within the Greek nation. Traveled to Greece many times with Steve and Anna. Many times went to Greece, went to Canada. Traveled to Australia, traveled to South Africa. Wherever there was Greek community, I would show up. Where did that begin? Where did that start from? It started from the prayer closet many years before. And as Nehemiah mourned for many days, confessing his sin and the sin of his people. You see, Nehemiah didn't <coughs> sin, but he was identifying with the sin of his people. And folks, these are the evidence of a broken and a contrite spirit. Releasing a fragrance before God that moves the hand of God on our behalf. And Nehemiah received a plan. The wisdom of God dropped into his spirit. And a plan was formulated within his heart. And he knew exactly what to do when to do it, and how to go about doing it. Immediately he goes to the king, he receives favor from the king, he receives a decree that went out, help Nehemiah! And in how many days? He raised the walls of Jerusalem amidst great opposition from the enemy. You know what? I'm convinced we're not a threat to the kingdom of darkness. If you were a threat, he would come after you and you would be facing so much opposition and persecution <laughs> that only the, only the grace of God would help you to stand. I recall when I went to preach to the Greek communities in that city, in that country from Zimbabwe, my goodness, all forces of hell within that region just came against me with a, with a, with a figure in, right in front, the bishop. I would receive calls from the capital, Harare, Salisbury, and they say, you step foot in our city, we will kill you. My neighbor went, some, went to someone and told him, because he knew that neighbor would tell me, that person, he said, you tell Andre I'm going to buy a shotgun and shoot him from my window. The hatred. We're no threat to the dark forces of darkness. We're not making any inroads. What are we doing? We're just circulating from one church to another. Yes. You know, somebody gets upset, get offended, <laughs> let's move on, go to another church. There we sit for a while, we get upset, we get offended, we go to another church. You call that growth? No. I'm just being blunt. With so much teaching on grace, we forgot what it's like to genuinely repent. There's even a teaching now that is going on, I don't know, in South Africa, I don't know about here. You don't have to confess your sins anymore. What, have we become now sinless? Huh? Well, what does John say? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
That's New Testament language. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. William Booth said, the greatest challenge in the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, salvation without regeneration, forgiveness without repentance, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Would you say that we are in the days now? Who's preaching about the fires of hell today? We don't believe it. Come on. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, some would say, well, you, you go back to the Old Testament. Well, Nehemiah is the Old Testament. Well, I'm glad you said that. Let me take you to the New Testament. Would you turn with me to James chapter 4, verses 3 through 10. James writes to brethren. For he begins his letter with saying, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And in chapter 4 he says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. That you may spend it on your pleasures, adulterous and adulteresses. He's not talking about physical adultery here. He's speaking about spiritual adultery. What is spiritual adultery? is when you have a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ and yet you pursue the world and His pleasures. Listen to what he says. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now listen to these words that come after. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Amen. Friends, this is not Old Testament language. This is New Testament language. James is not addressing unbelievers here, but he's addressing believers and he writes the letter to brethren. And he's calling them adulterous and adulteresses because of the friendship with the world. Amen. I wonder what he would say to the present day church with so much of the world's methods, the world's spirit, the world's mannerisms that have infiltrated the church. And is considered today as just normal Christianity. That alone should be enough to cause us to fall on our knees and cry out to God for mercy. Amen. Cleanse your church, Lord. Purify your yes, people. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The young lady in my dream 
It is just a picture of what is happening in, the in most yes. churches today. Yes. Had no fear of God whatsoever. No fear of the Lord. And yet she was allowed to stand before the church and leading worship, showing of her underwear. Folks, these are serious matters. Yes, sir. It is. Why do we tolerate what God does not tolerate? Amen. Why are we afraid to speak up and to confront what needs to be confronted? Why are we silent? I'm not I'm not I'm not saying we must judge. But we must judge the actions, yes. not the individual, the actions. And we must speak up for what is right yes, and what is wrong. There is a right and there is a wrong. Yes. Amen. Amen. What does a broken heart look like and when have you seen it lost? I forgot, even in my own heart. Listen to how David, when the prophet came to him and said, Thou art the man. Yes. You deserve to die. David fell on his face and he said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. And according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Hallelujah. When was the last time we went to our spouse, to our brother, to our sister and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. I've wronged you. I've said the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing. No acknowledgement. Not taking ownership and responsibility. And this was one of the things that grieved the heart of God in my dream. And as I stood, I could feel the brokenness in God's heart because there was no ownership of what is taking place in our city. No responsibility. We blame the president. Blame the cabinet. Blame everybody else. Blame your spouse. Blame your husband. Blame your children. Blame your pastor. Blame the church except us. A truly humble person does not defend himself, nor excuses Amen. himself. Right. He takes ownership and responsibility. I am where I am, not because of someone else's sin, because of my sin. Your sin doesn't affect me, unless I respond in an ungodly way. I'm only responsible for my sin. Amen. Amen. I recall years ago when I was having so much strife at home with my wife and our marriage was on the rocks. And I recall I didn't go to no counselor. And I want to tell you something. We have more marriage counselors today than we've ever had, yet we have more divorces than we've ever had. Why is that? Because of the hardness of our hearts. I would go into my room and I would, I would scream out and cry out to God. 
One night the pain was so strong, I went outside of my house, he wasn't even born yet, Stephen, and I hugged the tree and cried like a little baby. And in those days of tears and, and brokenness, God spoke to me. He said, you sort yourself out. I said, Lord, but look how she treats me. Look what she does. He said, what is it to do with you? You follow me. You adjust your attitude. When your obedience is complete, I will judge all disobedience. Never would he take my side. Ever. You love, but it's true. It was painful. People don't, are not willing to fight anymore for what is theirs. We are a microwave nation today. You know, everything we wanted instant. Nobody's willing to put up a fight. David cries out. He says, Against you, Lord, you have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight. I was shapen in iniquity. In, my, in sin my mother conceived me. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. The bones you have broken may rejoice. What is it going to take? How many bones does he have to break in us? Before we finally humble ourselves. Hear what the word of the Lord says in closing this session. Proverbs 28, 13, He who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And then in Hosea 14, verse 2, Take words with you. Return to the Lord. Say to Him, Take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously. For we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Today in the city of Cape Town, there was a call by an evangelist called Angus Bakken. I don't know if you've heard of him. Over 100,000 people gathered in a place called Mitchell's Plain. I saw the photos this morning. And as a community and as a city, we cried out to God for mercy. Hallelujah. That's the answer. Mm -hmm. May the Lord do this in every city. Yes. May pastors begin to see eye to eye in every region. Put away our differences. For we are one body. Amen. And come and bow before God with a broken heart and a contrite spirit and say, God, Will you visit us? Will you have mercy upon us? We're tired of religion. We long for substance. And we long for your presence. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, Come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.